Here I stand. One of the most famous words from Martin Luther. He is said to have said these words at the Diet of Worms on April 1521. It is an iconic vision played out in half a dozen movies about the Reformation. Luther standing there alone and by himself before the powers of the day. The emperor, the princes of the Holy Roman Empire, along with bishops and prelates of the Roman Church, while serfs and plebeians outside cheer and chant his name. I will not recant. Here I stand. So help me God. Amen. Fist raised in the air, I will sedge. The only problem is that's probably not the way it happened. Brother Martin was probably significantly more demure than that. Everybody agrees that he does say at the end of his little speech, my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. God help me. Amen. Some versions do add the pronouncement, here I stand, I can do no other. But the official record does not include these words. Thereby, most historians believe that he probably didn't say them. Personally, I don't think he said them either, to tell you the I believe Luther to be one of the most brilliant men of his generation, and he knows better than to taunt the emperor to his face in his own house. You just don't do that. It's a really good way of getting yourself martyr if that's what you're going for, but that was not what Luther was looking for. He just simply made a statement of faith and almost apologizes for it. But whether Luther said these exact words, here I stand, he was indeed taking a stand. Luther does indeed take a stand against the false teachings of his day. He takes a stand for the word of God. He takes a stand for the message of grace and the finished work of Jesus Christ because he knows that our standing before God does not depend upon anybody else but God. It's significantly more important than how we stand before princes or kings or popes. Our standing before God is accepted or rejected, and it comes down to two opinions on how that acceptance or rejectance is decided. We either stand before God based upon our own works, or we stand before God based upon the works of somebody else. Most religions claim the first option. In fact, every religion I have ever studied or looked at claims the first option. That I stand before God and man, or whatever it is out there that's going to judge me based upon my own actions, upon my own attitudes. This is what mankind deems as being fair. Notice how everybody loves that word nowadays. Everybody's like, it's fair. It's got to be fair. It's got to be fair. That's because that is the religion of the world. The religion of the world is fairness. This platform infers that God gives approval unto our good deeds. It infers that God believes that our good deeds are actually good. The problem is every religion has a different understanding of what they believe to be good. They have a different understanding of what they believe to be a good deed. Judaism has 613, and I'm going to destroy this word, 
613 mandamentos. There's too many vowels in this word. It comes from the Latin mandatum, where we get Monday, Thursday, commandment. So there's 10 commandments in Judaism, but there's also an extra 613 commandments. They just use a different word to call them not commandments, but something else. It's M-A-N-D-A-M-E-I-N-T-O-S. You, you say it. But there are words. There are rules and there are laws. Buddhism doesn't have 613. It has an eightfold path. Islam has five pillars. They only have five rules and they're really sort of easy. You got to fast. You got to go to Mecca once and you got to tithe, which is 2%, by the way. <laughs> 2%? Are you kidding me? And fasting, that to fast through Ramadan, which basically means you eat a really big breakfast and then you can eat after dinner, which basically means they skip lunch for like six weeks out of the year. Look at me, I'm skipping lunch. Now, the, the, the big part is pretty easy. The hard part is in the details. If you're Islamics, then, you know, you do the five pillars and that's really easy. But then all you have to do for the rest of it is just do what your imam tells you to. That's the hard part. American secularism is no different. They have their own rules. They have an ever-evolving rainbow flag with 68 to 112 genders. It doesn't matter what it is between 68 and 112, just so long as you admit that there's more than three. There's a whole plethora of new pronouns you have to keep up with. If you don't think it's a religion, you need to get out more and meet some more of these people because they absolutely believe it. That is your standing before men and God as well. Each of this religion has a whole list of actions that you can and cannot take. There's a whole list of, of, of rituals that need to be enacted. And if simply if you just keep these rules and you participate in the practices, then you will find yourself approved both by God and by man as well. Even those that claim to be Christian. A large number believe that they stand righteous before God based upon their own works, based upon their own performances. A majority of, of Americans believe that good works results in you going to heaven. In, in, in 2016, Barna did a research report. I'm sure they've done another one since then that this was the easy one to find, so I'm going to use it. Guarantee the numbers are worse now than they were. But among the American population, most 55% agree that if one is personally good and does good things for other people in their life, they will earn their place in heaven earn. That's the scary word out there. They will earn it by the sweat of their brow and the strength of their arm. And it's always been that way. Because humanity is evil and sinful. Early in his life, Martin Luther tried this option for himself. He became a monk. He took vows of poverty and chastity and obedience. He did this in order to earn God's favor. He attended chapel several times a day. He fasted and he prayed. He scourged himself, whipped himself. He spent hours and hours in the confessional booth. Later, Luther reflected upon this experience saying, if ever a monk would have gotten into heaven by his monkery, it was me. This is what we call the doing option. It grounds your salvation in what you do. And the operative word there is do, 
And stepping back from that doing word, the word is try. So you try your best. You do what you're supposed to do. You do what you're required. You keep your head down and you'll be fine. In America, we fly flags. We use the correct pronouns. We march. We struggle. We sweat in order to please God and to find favor in front of mankind. The problem with the doing option is did you do enough? Did you? In the monastery, Luther discovered that his actions were all outside of himself. It never changed anything on the inside. It only changed what was on the outside. Inwardly, he was still greedy. He was still lustful. He was still selfish. Inwardly, he was still sinful. Inwardly, he knew he had no peace. He had no assurance of salvation. There was no confidence that he had ever done enough, despite the fact everybody in his life had said, calm down, man, you got it. You're doing just fine. Inside, he went, no, I'm not. Because I know the truth. I know what's going on in here. Romans chapter 3, verse 20. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight. God's standard for our perfection is absolute holiness. It is perfection. God does not grade on a curve. You're either entirely good or you're entirely bad. You either make it entirely or you don't make it entirely. This is why we cannot stand upon our own meritorious works before God. It doesn't matter how good your works are. Are they good enough? Are they good enough for God? Can God look at your works and go, there's a man that I would look up? Platform two is standing upon the works of Christ. As sinful human beings, we are helpless to achieve God's approval by ourselves. We are hopeless. It is a hopeless cause. This is precisely why God has intervened into human history. God has intervened to do what God, God intervened to do what we could not do. Jesus enters into human history. He enters into human time and space. He enters into humanity itself, becoming a true human being so that he can identify with humanity so that he could become the substitute for them. He lived a righteous life. He was holy. He was complete without sin. God the Father was pleased with what he had done. He dies experiencing the penalty for sin, which is death. He does not experience that, that death because of his own sin, but because of others' sin. He takes the sin of the world upon himself. He suffers the penalty for what we had done. After two nights in the grave, his lifeless body is revived. Christ's resurrection demonstrates God's approval in this sacrifice. It is a testimony to God's victory, not only over death, but over the causes of death, which is sin. This is why Christianity is not a doing religion. It's a done religion. Humanity's redemption is done. It is finished. It is complete in Jesus Christ. We do not do, we do not try, we do not earn God's approval. We certainly don't need to worry about the approval of man. For Christ has done this for us. And so in this done relationship, the operative word for us is trust. We don't do, we trust. 
We trust that Jesus has done what is necessary for our salvation. We trust that the penalty for sin has been paid. We trust that the atonement has been made. We trust that our restoration in Christ has been completed by what Jesus has done for us. We trust that what, what Jesus has declared from the cross. It is finished. We trust those words. The appropriate response to the done reality of Christ's mission is to trust in Him. This is faith. This is what belief is. This is what Paul was trying to explain to us in Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified, note the past tense in this statement. Justification, being made right with God alone. Since we have been justified by faith, that is trusting in what He has done for us, we have peace with God. We have it. Reconciliation unto God is ours. We have peace with God through Christ Jesus our Lord. It is through Christ, His works, not ours, that we are made right with God. If you continue on to verse 2, our text, through Him, once again, it is only because of what Jesus has done that these benefits are added unto us. We have also obtained access. Again, past tense. The access has been granted into this grace in which we stand. We have received this grace. It's a present tense. It is a, it is a continuing reality. <clears throat> Here the apostle reminds us for the second time that all this has been received by faith through him. Trust in Christ. We have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand. Been justified, finished by faith we trust. Obtained access to grace done by faith we trust. Romans affirms this time after time after time, this dynamic completion of salvation. It is reception by faith. It is done. It is finished. And thereby, we trust in Jesus' works. Not ours. During the 1800s on the Great Plains of America, the early settlers would occasionally encounter a prairie fire. Way off in the horizon, they would see a huge plume of smoke, a wall of smoke with little glints of fire way out in the distance. These homesteaders knew reflexively that they would not be able to outrun the oncoming flames, much less carry their goods someplace else while doing it. They were, they were stand to either run for their lives and, and fall and lose everything, even if they managed to outrun. So they took action to protect themselves. They kindled smaller fires, more controllable fires of their own. And by doing so, they would burn a wide path around their homes and around their barns that had simply already been burnt out. So when the conflagration arrived, the flames would simply go to, to their homestead and then burn around them because there was no fuel in the center of their property with which to catch. As a result, these wise pioneers were saved. They were safe because they stood within the perimeter of the grassland that had already been burned out. 
The Bible says on the final day that God's judgment will come upon the earth like a consuming fire. And our only hope, our only hope is to take our stand where God's fiery wrath has already been burned out. And that place is on the cross of Jesus Christ where thousands of years ago, God's judgment has already fallen upon Christ and that wrath of that sin has already been burned out. And we who are united with Christ are safe in that zone. We stand upon the finished work of Jesus Christ. It is finished, as our text says. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And through him, we have obtained faith into grace into which we stand. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. No merit of my own I claim, but wholly lean upon Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Martin Luther may not have uttered these words, Here I stand, but he did take a stand. And he took a stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ, the doctrine of justification of grace through faith alone. In Christ alone, it is the only article on which the church stands. It is the only article on which Martin Luther would stand or fall. And it is the article on which you and I will stand or fall as well when facing the holy God. Here I stand. I can do no other. So help me God. Amen.